Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Welcome to the show today, everybody. I'm so excited to have you back for another episode of the Unwritten Life Podcast. As always, I am your host, Tim Sawhook. And I am happy to be your guide today for a little bit of hope and inspiration for your day. As always, I would like to thank you guys so much for downloading the podcast each week and taking your time to listen to these stories of people who are vulnerable coming on and sharing a little bit of their life for you. And I hope you guys are really taking something away from that. And don't forget, reach out to the people that you've heard on the podcast, especially if you don't know them. Let them know you enjoyed the show that you enjoy them sharing their message and speaking their truth for you guys. That really means a lot to them. So so reach out to them on iTunes, leave them a review, let them know what you thought about their episode and what kind of hope and encouragement it left for you. I know they would greatly appreciate it, and so would I. As always, I am doing my all call for people to come on the podcast and share their story. Believe it or not, it's not easy to get people on the show. You would think that you know a lot of people would hear it, and you're like, oh, they'll reach out. Somebody else will always do it. Well, that somebody could be you. You have a story. You are very unique in what's happened to you, what you've gone through in life, and it doesn't have to be some amazing, huge struggle. I've had people come on and say, you know, after I heard that podcast, my story means absolutely nothing. Nobody would care about that. And it's just simply not true. Those are lies that you're telling yourself because of what you've gone through. And you feel that you don't have as much value or you matter as much as some people have done on the show. And you really do. So I'm doing an all call. I need more people. I want to hear more stories. And I want to spread that message of hope. And I know there are thousands of people out there who have a message of hope to spread. And if you know somebody, connect me with them. Show them the podcast. Let them listen to the podcast so they hear what it's all about. So they know what kind of part they could play on leaving that message of hope for others. Before we get into the show today, here is a message from our sponsor, Exclusive Travel Partners. Are you ready to pack your bags and get away? Let Exclusive Travel Partners help you plan the perfect vacation. From all-inclusives on the beach to your own European vacation or taking the family to Disney World, we are here to match the perfect vacation to your needs and budget. And best of all, our service is always free. Contact us at ExclusiveTravelPartners.com. Mention code unwritten for a $25 travel credit to use on your next vacation with us at exclusive travel partners you are always the vip well like i promised at the top of the show we have another amazing episode today another great interview from somebody who wanted to come on and share his vulnerable story from what he went through growing up and how it shaped him into the man that he is today here is my conversation with jeremy wilson Well, I'd like to welcome Jeremy to the show today. Jeremy, how are you doing in good old California? I am great, thank you. We have officially started fall, but California always has <laughs> one last hot week right around when fall officially begins. So we're nice. getting some hot weather, and then the actual fall will begin shortly. What does actually fall in California look like? Well, it depends on where you live. If you're in Southern California by the beach, it looks like every other part of the year. And then uh, up here in Sacramento and the foothills and in Northern California, you get a season, you get cooler weather, you get okay. leaves. So okay. yeah, we're not all on the beach as much as people think that's what we yeah. all do. 
I pictured you being on the beach when we did this call today, and I, I just see you sitting on a couch, so you really let me down that way. Yeah, um, no, no surfing here. No surfing here. Just internet surfing. That's the yep. way to do it. Well, thanks again for joining me today to share your story after uh, talking to you today, and we'll share your connection with somebody else on the show a little bit later on, but I really hope and I know your story is going to impact some people, so thank you very much for being on. No, no it's my pleasure. Well, like I do with everybody at the beginning of the show, I just say, you know, before we get, you know, into the meat of your story and take a deep dive, tell me what it was like maybe growing up before everything started to evolve for you. Yeah, I am very fortunate when it comes to the life and the family and the childhood that I have had and still have. My parents are two of the most amazing individuals that you'll ever meet. They are miracle workers, I always tell people, because mm -hmm. they were teachers when my brother my sister and I were growing up and so they would teach all day they would coach they were very involved uh, on their campuses and then they'd come home and they were coaching us they were we always had one of them at every one of our events which there's mm -hmm. three sibling I have two, a sister and a brother three of us in four years so how they conquered all of that I don't <laughs> know especially because we all played basketball mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, they were always there for us and supportive and still today are very much tuned into what we need and helping mm -hmm. us and supporting us. And so I always tell people that we had the Disney Channel childhood. We had <laughs> right. grandparents were involved, aunts, uncles, cousins. We grew up in a small town. The teachers knew us. Uh, everybody knew who our parents were. Mm -hmm. My siblings and I, you know, never went without. Mm -hmm. uh, you can imagine that teachers, I think, na nationally, not just here in California, don't really make what they deserve. And right, we we always had the the new Nikes and the the sports gears, and we were always going on trips and stuff. So, mm -hmm. how my parents did it to not only do what they did all day and then come home and pour all of that extra energy and love into us let alone provide for us and support us in our interests and our passions. Mm -hmm. it, again, that's why I say they're, 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 they're angels among us. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I'll take a couple of things back in your story. One, I, teachers are superheroes and they, they not get paid nearly enough what they deserve. Um, and then secondly, one of the things that you talked on about, you know, you had three of you running around doing sports and stuff like that. And they were coaches to you. Now, I'm taking away not, not maybe even physical coaches, but maybe just coaching you through life. Is that what you mean as well? Absolutely. And still today, you know, we, we're very well-connected family. We're very close. And, you know, my parents were there for us each step of the way. But they, they mm -hmm. also coached us, as you said, in life. I mean, I remember in junior high, I wasn't happy with the playing time that I was getting in basketball. And mm -hmm. I remember going home and telling my parents, like, I'm frustrated. I'm not playing. And they said, have you talked to coach? I said, no. So they said, mm -hmm. you need to talk to coach. So, you know, being a, a child, uh, a junior hire and uh, me uh, at times having more stubborn than most, <laughs> I, you know, went through that conversation with them a few more times. I kept saying, talk to coach. And so you talk to coach, you don't know why. So I talked to coach finally. And then he tells me, you know, you need to work on your free throws, free throws and your left hand dribble. Mm -hmm. So I complain again, I'm not getting playing time my parents said okay well have you talked to coach I said yeah and they said what did, what did he say and I tell them and they say okay so again being stubborn a few mm -hmm. more you know days go by I'm still not playing after in the tournament like I wanted and and my mom and dad at dinner one night were like well 
coach told you and uh, we have a basketball hoop in our driveway right and uh, when you're not at school and when you're not at basketball you haven't been practicing Mm -hmm. and it was just this you know place in our home where we always and still again still today have their unconditional love and support and they're also coaching us to be our best selves right so you know easily parents can blame the coach or blame the teacher or blame someone else and my parents would you know fiercely defend us and protect us yet also teach us in that moment of well mm-hmm. coach told you if right. you want it go for it and we provided you the space there's a hoop on the uh, in in the you know driveway you and there's outdoor lights like I could be out there till the sun comes up every day right. if I wanted. So they also you know allowed us to learn early on some very important life lessons. Yeah, I like the one about them really saying, "Did you talk to coach?" Because I think that's so important in today's atmosphere and cultures and companies. We're so quick to talk to our coworkers or friends and complain about the person or the issue, and really the people that we're talking to cannot help us at all until we go to the person who can help us and talk about, I'm having this issue, I need this help. So I think that's amazing at a young age. They said, you know, that's great. You can complain to us all day until you're blue in the face, but you need to talk to the person who can actually help you, provide you the feedback that you need. So I think that's a great little lesson right from the beginning. So way to paint that picture of a good supportive household. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I said, I, I'm very blessed to have had grown up um, having them as my parents. And nowadays they're still obviously my parents just, also getting to be friends with them, which is mm-hmm. uh, another blessing. That's awesome. So now that you've, you've shown us that, you know, you have this great upcoming, you know, wonderful support system, you know, your Disney Channel lifestyle. So what does your story start to evolve within that realm and that world? Yeah, you know, I, again, growing up, I was well-connected. I played sports. I was on student council. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, the, had a lot of people who knew me. And in in junior high, I went to a small school. I went to our graduating class of, uh, was 60, around 60. Oh, wow. And we went to a high school of around 2,000. So we were one one of the smallest junior highs that fed in, you know, there were about 13 other junior highs that fed into one high school. And and I was lucky enough that, you know, my mom had worked in the school district. My grandma had worked in the school district. My sister was a year older than I. So, you know, going there, yeah, the size multiplied, but I still knew people. People mm-hmm. knew who I was. And I got involved in sports. I was a runner. And yet, despite all of the connections that I had and, and being who I was, I was, you know, at times I had the awkward teenage boy stuff you know I had Mm -hmm. acne I was skinny I had a high-pitched voice Mm -hmm. and I never really connected well with just a certain group so I was kind of the friends with everybody and Mm -hmm. and I became the target of being bullied Mm -hmm. and you know when you're one of the things about being bullied is you don't necessarily even have a clue what, why you, you know, it's like right. you're just being you. And, you know, now we know, we know that most bullies are hurting themselves and they've been bullied or they've been physically or emotionally abused mm-hmm. as well. And so they are displaying behaviors that have been uh, displayed for them and at them. So, you know, but you're, you're, you're a high school student. 
and you don't know. And, you know, some of the, the bullying that I experienced was uh, from members of my own team. I was their captain. I was a team captain. I was mm -hmm. on student council. And, you know, my senior year of high school out of, uh, you know, the, our graduating class around 500 people, I was voted homecoming king. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's not, again, like I wasn't, un, uh, wasn't known, I wasn't connected, but I was still being bullied. Right. And it started to get to me of that there must be something wrong because why else would you bully? Why else would you intentionally be unkind? Right. Well, let me ask you a few questions about that just to go back a little bit in your story. First of all, what, what's your first memory of being bullied and knowing like, wow, this does not feel good. This is not a joke. Yeah, I remember after uh, a race, uh, we did a team cool down and we had gotten to know some of the other teams. And so we thought, you know, we'll just do a group cool down. And, and I, you know, am coming up with a few of the others and somebody says, Oh, we need to wait for our captain. And, you know, I say, I'm here. And one of them go and uh, someone from the other, the other school's team goes, you're right. No wonder you guys call him squeak. Oh. And cause my voice was high, you right. know, and I remember in that moment being like, Oh, oh, like, uh, I, I don't know what my voice sounds like. Right. But in that short time from being, uh, you know, competing on the, on the race field to all of a sudden I'm being made fun of. And it's a short time. So right. there, th that really got to me because I remember thinking like, why, mm -hmm. you know, and and there must be something so wrong with me that in a short time they would tell the other team. Right. So you're thinking, but, yeah, I mean, this short period of time, not only are they talking about amongst themselves, they're literally telling the other team about things they do not like about you as the captain. You're coming up and hearing that. So that's got to be very disheartening and very isolating. Yeah. And so you, you kind of just go, okay. Like that's all of the things that they could have been talking about anything, the race, the, yeah. you know, biology class, the, the cute girl, the cute boy. I mean, at that time, most people didn't wouldn't have talked about uh, the <laughs> other guys wouldn't have talked about the other cute boy, but yeah. you know, <laughs> there, it, it was like, what? And so I remember how that made me feel, mm -hmm. but, and I, and then I kind of just brushed it off like, Hey, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then it started occurring more um, where, you know, I was being made fun of, of not just my team, because that was the, the JV team, the freshmen and mm -hmm. sophomores, but then also members from the varsity team. And it started to kind of spread like I was that target. And uh, I didn't understand it, but it started to really get to me of like, what, what's, you know, again, what's wrong with me? And, mm -hmm. and I also had you know, not the worst acne, but I would say, I mean, enough that I was, you know, going to my doctor and at the time trying some of the more severe, right. uh, intense medications. And so then you're, you know, you're being made fun of, you're the scrawny guy, you get acne. Mm -hmm. I was always the friend, not the person who anyone wanted to date. So you start to kind of build this up in your head of like these, right. this is what my peers see of me, a, a reflection of me. And, and I remember that I started to take such hot showers, uh, no matter what time of the year it was, even in the summer, because the mirror would fog up. 
and that way I didn't have to look at myself. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I I just started to really think that there must have been something wrong with me. I wasn't, you know, fill in the blank enough. Right. Because why else would people make fun of me? I'm not the only kid who has acne. I'm not the only scrawny kid. I, you know, I'm out there one of our, you know, the team's best runners. I'm their leader. I'm in, involved in our school giving back. I do good grades. I'm not out there causing any trouble. I, right. you know my parents again were always uh providing for us i mm-hmm. i was wearing the nice clothes i i got to go to back to school shopping i had clothes right. on that i wanted to wear mm-hmm. i had money to buy lunch if i wanted to or you know do social things like it, it, you know as a as yeah. a high schooler you start to think like what well what am i making you know what what about my life is so bad that you would make fun of me and as i like would look at that i'm like there's nothing wrong with me <laughs> you know and right. and not not that that justifies bullying but no. some people are bullied because of the clothes they wear right. or the car they drive or their family or they're really mean or they're cert- they eat lunch alone mm-hmm. so as a high schooler you kind of look from that frame and kind of go oh well that you know well of course they're bullied because people are right. mean people who are different but i wasn't i was the the, the good athlete jock from a good family that was well known that had the cool clothes. So it really searches your, you know, understanding of right. why. And so yeah. then it. Yeah. I was going to say in high school, it's hard enough in any type of school. It's hard enough. Uh, the social thing and in high school, especially you're trying to, you're getting ready to branch out as an adult and go to college and start a life. And you're really trying to identify who you are, especially in high school. And so I think, especially someone who is being bullied, now people are starting to tell you who you are, as opposed to what you think of yourself or what you know of yourself. And I want to ask you a little bit about the whole shower thing. Yes. When you were getting to the point where you're steaming up a shower because you didn't even want to see yourself, because now people are starting to tell you who you are, how they're making fun of you and bullying you. Um, what did that do to you as far as your self-worth? Like, I mean, to the point where you don't want to see yourself, how bad was it for you at that point? Uh, you know, I, I remember my, uh, sophomore year in high school, I think it was my sophomore, my junior year. I remember just thinking like, wow, if I'm, you know, this, this bad, uh, you know, according to the, the bullying and the peers, right. You know, like I, I, I felt, I started to feel bad that my family, uh, was, you know, that this was their brother, that this was their mm-hmm. son. And, and I remember journaling and just talking about like, I wish I could just wake up and, 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 you know, kind of start over and, and not that I had thoughts of suicide, but more like, I just want to be done. Like if I'm this big embarrassment, I don't want people to ha- to remember me if I, right. I, but yet I love my family so much. It's like, I didn't want to run away. I didn't want to, you know, uh, I didn't want to not know them. And right. um, my sister, who's a year older than I, uh, my sister Jen, uh, was in my room and found the note. And again, it wasn't a, a, a suicide note. It wasn't contemplation of suicide. It was just me like journaling like this. I don't want to feel this way anymore. Right. I, I don't want to be bullied. I don't want to wake up and have to go to this school again and be made fun of because my voice is high or because I'm skinny. And 
she, you know, took that note to my parents and my parents, you know, pulled me aside and, and talked to me about it. And, and even, you know, so let's, let's get to talk to you to a therapist. And, you know, I, I knew mm-hmm. in my core, like that there was nothing wrong with me mm-hmm. and that I was okay. But when it's happening to you and you're not, you know, from your peers, like, there's that disconnect when your mind and your heart are disconnected. Right. So that's where it really got to me about being really insecure about my body, uh, being insecure about, you know, my voice, something that, again, you have nothing you can do about it. Right. And so it started to just really add on to the point of, you know, this is who I am and I'm not, I'm not good enough. Yeah, let me ask you about that. Um, I think, and the biggest, one of the bigger things we talk about on the podcast a lot on Unwritten Life is mental health and depression and things of that nature. And, um, and you know, I feel like you're starting to feel a little bit of that being bullied. You know, you're a little depressed. It sounds like, you know, not to the point of committing suicide, but the point where you just want to be done, not necessarily with life, but with the life you're going through at that point. And when your parents found out and they suggest to you to get help, and did that make you feel like I do have something wrong with me? Because I think there's a big stigma around with people getting help. Going to a doctor or a therapist or a psychiatrist even. I dealt with depression. And when people hear the word psychiatrist, they think you're crazy. And psychiatrist is just a different kind of a doctor. A different than a podiatrist who helps your feet. And I wondered to you when you were doing this and they said, hey, I need you to go to a therapist or I want you to. Did it just solidify that the people at school were right? That you do have something wrong with you? That's a, yeah, that's an interesting perspective. No, I, I would say because I grew up with the love and support mm-hmm. that it was like, yeah, well, sure. You know, and, and I remember my mom driving me to my first appointment and I went in there and I saw the therapist and, mm-hmm. and I remember her saying, you know, you just don't know who you are. And that, and, and that, and I kept thinking, no, <laughs> that's <laughs> not it, you know, and, and not to, you know, uh, suggest that, uh, you know, therapy or, or mental health uh, services aren't helpful because I, you know, am now a uh, work in mental health and I'm a, a huge advocate for it. And my right. sister, Jen, you know, fast forward from when she found that note to she is a licensed mental health uh, therapist who help, who works with high school students. And, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, some foreshadowing there and I you know it was just that I knew that what that even though I was being bullied and even though I didn't like how I looked like I still loved there was this you know like these this these extremes because I'm being made fun of I don't like it I don't like how I look I'm a skinny white guy my my acne's not you know is I have kind of a funky face uh, with some of the acne, which, you know, I, I honestly think that, and anytime you, you have acne, you think it's the worst thing in the world. And most people be, are like, Oh, you can't tell. So, you know, some of that's amplified by sure. being made fun of, but I still loved my, my life and knew I had an amazing family, enjoyed school, enjoyed being on the teams and enjoyed being on student council. So I never got to a point where I wanted to miss school. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, I just want to be done with this. Like, 
I don't get it. And so when my parents were suggesting, yeah, you know, let's go talk, you know, maybe you should go talk to somebody. I was like, absolutely, because I was wanting to find a solution. Right. Yet there are many people and, you know, that was back in, you know, 95 through 99, but, you know, even still today, we've made huge strides, but there are still people who, yes, think, oh, I don't want to go and see that mental health professional because of the stigma, right? especially, especially us males. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you a question about that because you said that you were writing these notes to yourself basically that you just wanted to be done with that part of your life that you're going through because it was just too stressful, you know, a lot of bullying and stuff. But on the flip side, you loved your family. You loved your life there. So did you feel like you're running these parallel lives where one part of your life was amazing, you loved it, you didn't want to be lose it, and the other part where you're like, I just want to finish it? Where were you, how did you find a happy medium between those two? You know, my senior year, uh, I ended up uh, not continuing with uh, running and that's when I got involved in student council. Mm -hmm. And I found a group of friends who just, through student council, a new group of friends and they were just fantastic. And so I was living these parallel lives because I did enjoy high school. I, I loved the experience. I loved going and watching my sister play on the basketball team. I was so proud of her. You know, my senior year, my brother, she had graduated. My brother was a freshman, and I got to go watch him play mm -hmm. football. And so for me, I was really, you know, excited about, you know, life. And so there was this parallel where I was like, I just want to be done with the bullying. I just want to be done with the awkward stage of mm -hmm. acne and just being right. and having a high voice. Uh, and you know, and just like everyone, I wanted to belong. And so that was also yeah. that hard thing is, you know, here I am a part of this team, but I'm being made fun of by some of, by my teammates. Right. Here I am, you know, having a larger social group, but not having that core group of friends that I didn't find until my, you know, my senior year in high school. Right. And that was just that like fresh of breath air, like, oh, yeah. Like, they're not making fun of me. They're, uh, you know, because that's also, I think, the, the interesting space that many of us experience is here's your teammates, you know, the people right. you go to, to out on the field with, you compete with, you spend a lot of time with, you, you, you go to battle with. I mean, I hate to use that word battle, but, you know, a lot yeah. of athletes will describe that. If you go out there and you have the common goal and you're going to take down this mm -hmm. opponent, and yet then they're the ones who are bullying you and making fun of you. Right. And so it's this place of like the parallel worlds of when we have our uniform on all was well, but the minute that that competition was up or over, they're back to making fun of you. Right. And what we really want is just acceptance. Like you said, everybody wants to belong be a team, a family, something. Let me ask you a question about being bullied and tell me if you can relate to this type scenario. So I think anybody in any family or any relationship can relate to like you get up one morning and walk into a room and maybe don't smile right away and someone goes, well, someone woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And so they automatically put you like on the defensive immediately. So you're constantly like, well, then you get mad because you're on the defensive because someone said something to you. Is it like that same feeling being bullied? Because here you are day one you find out people are making fun of you so you're constantly trying to play catch up like hey what what did i do wrong why and so you're constantly on the defensive and like 
happen to prove. And then, of course, you say, well, no, I, I, that's not me. And then they're like, well, look at you. Now you're complaining because blah, blah, blah. Do you feel like that is a scenario type feeling to be on the defensive all the time? Absolutely. I do think that for some people, when you're being made fun of and you can't do anything right. Right. You do get to a point where you ha you have to let it out. And, and, you know, it's, it's the, you know, example that's probably been used many times over of, you know, you can, you know, you take a balloon and you blow air into it. And that certain point that balloon can't hold all that air. And so it pops. Right. And so for individuals who, you know, that air going into the balloon is all of that hurt and that hate and that being made fun of. Yeah that balloon will pop. And for some, that means that they, they, they become a bully. They act out. They, they run away. They, they harm themselves. They right. start using substances or, or drinking or, or different vices for coping. And, and for some, it's that emotional pain. Well, their pop is, uh, you know, to mm -hmm. the point where they're, they die by suicide. And, right. and I, I, I never got to 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 those um, to those places. I I do know that I was uh, you know at home. My my parents were really big on teaching us to be true to our emotions, mm -hmm. to not run from them, to talk and to communicate health healthy communication. And so I know that I was very emotionally and verbally expressive at home, <laughs> and uh, which you is know, good. Yeah. Which is good, and so I I do think that my my parents and my sister, and my brother got that side of it from mm -hmm. where when I was just hurt and and uh, you know that I took it out on them and not to any extreme and probably at times just being a hormonal teenager. Right. But I do recognize that that's where some of my my balloon pop happened. Is I you know would overreact to things. I would say a snide remark or I would just be a, a stinker. <laughs> <laughs> You're stop using that harsh language, Jeremy. I know, right? We're well, gonna get that explicit rating here and I do I know. not appreciate it. I don't want your uh <laughs> you to be booted off uh no, no. <laughs> That's no problem there, but let's talk about bullying just in general. I mean, it is even worse today in 2018 with cyberbullying, and and bullying is no joke, and it does not discriminate against age, size, color of your skin, no matter what. I mean, and bullying is a life ender these days. People are taking their lives because of the severity of bullying, and there was a kid locally here who was five years old who hung himself because he was being bullied. I mean, could you imagine that much pain and stress on a five-year-old where they thought they had no future or no hope where they took their own life? It's just, it's, it's so hard to comprehend. And, you know, you talk to it leads to a lot of people that balloon popping and self-harm and things like that. You know, how did you get it to not come to that point with you? I mean, I know you had a supportive family. We talked about that and you were very expressive at home, but how do you think you avoided not getting to that, that severe balloon popping moment where you harmed yourself? You know, I don't know. I, I've thought a lot about that. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I, I honestly think that it was because of my family, because of my parents, uh, the love of my uh, parents, my siblings, 
having aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents mm-hmm. that just I loved to be around and I loved I I loved our life and and having you know having friends although at times some of those friends you know didn't really know what was happening or right. or even the teammate you know I had a purpose I had a sense I was seen I was heard I was you know those are things that I think are 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 really, really important. They're protective factors. And some people don't have that. And some people do. I mean, so I I think that it's, it's a really hard subject for us to really categorize when we talk about why some people and why not others. Right. And I I think that that's true in, in other areas when people experience toxic stress, when they experience trauma, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, adverse childhood experiences, you can look at people who experience that same families, identical twins, and some, you know, will go down one path, some will go down another. And so I think it's, it's hard to pinpoint it, but Mm -hmm. I, I always say I'm the lucky one. I mean, I was bullied. I, you know, in college, uh, experienced panic attacks and uh, you know as an adult have experienced a lot of grief right and and I'm here mm-hmm. you know and and I always say I'm I'm one of the lucky ones despite all the hurt that I've gone through right I'm here and I've every step of the way have had the unconditional love and support of my family and not many people can say that yeah and so very true I, I'm lucky I'm blessed I I don't, you know, no, I don't want to put too much on why me versus someone else, sure. uh, but I think it just comes down to my, my family and my friends. And, right. and again, with a disclaimer that for some people who don't make it through it, they, they still may have had the best family and friends in the world. Right. No, I agree with that. And I'm glad you said that. And the really reason I brought it up to asking about you, because this is your specific story. Yeah. And, you know, and the purpose of the podcast is to offer hope and encouragement and show that your story is still unwritten and all those things. But it's also to try to make people feel normal a little bit. Because if you're out there and you're hearing this podcast and you think, okay, this person now who's gone through high school is successful, has a job, they went through it. And now, you know, they have this life and they made it through, you know, what can I do? But um, I think something you talked about before we even came on the podcast was like, you know, I had this great Disney Channel life, and I was still being bullied right in, under the nose of my parents in front of my team. I was a captain. I was a prom king and all these different things, and still you were being bullied. And, mm-hmm. and talk about the people who were unseen and unheard on a daily basis, what it's like, what could be like that for them? What, what, you know, how do you feel about things like that who people don't have those resources? Yeah, you know, for those individuals, that's uh, that. It honestly, you know, when I think about it, it's heartbreaking. I, yeah, I, I think that way in general right now. I think that we, you know, as an adult, there are days where I think, oh, you know, I had a hard day at work, or oh, I don't want to go. You know, I get home, right. I don't really want to cook dinner. I, I just want to go out. You know, that's a normal life rhythm, right? And yet for there's people who aren't on the, who don't have a home, you know, when it's, when right. it's hot, when it's over a hundred degrees here in Sacramento, 
I have air conditioning in my car, I have air conditioning at work, I have air conditioning in my house, and I get to use all of them. I have the, the, the financial opportunity to stay. Right. There's not people who, can, not everyone can say the same. And so, you know, for them, it's, it's the reverse. Instead of them having hope, I, I, I feel a responsibility because of the life that I've been given mm-hmm. to do what I can to give others hope. Yeah. And uh, sorry, I just got a little. No, it's fine. Uh, no, this, these I, things are, you know, diving into these type of situations, they are really serious. They're very emotional and they're really on the surface, you know, they're really on the surface for things that we've gone through in life. So, you know, to feel emotion because of that, it's not a bad thing. It just shows that it, it, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I just feel, you know, that it's a responsibility to to help others and mm-hmm. and that can look so many different ways because we there are people around us who you know maybe we work with them maybe we live with them maybe we right. are with them in class it doesn't have to be the extreme of the person you see who is not living under a shelter uh, there are people who are have have been hurt and who are hurting and mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't take, you know, again, I look at my life and, and there's probably people, you know, my teachers or my coaches or people I went to high school with who never knew what I, what I experienced. Right. And, you know, they would pin, they might pick someone else out of the yearbook and say, oh, that person definitely, you know, was bullied and made fun of and right. took such hot showers that they didn't have to look at themselves in the mirror, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, you know, there's so many of us who have just been through, who have been through things. And so now I feel that responsibility of how do I, how am I hopeful to people? And, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to, you know, tell this story, but not just this about that, but being involved in my community, right. Being in the field that I am and, you know, going above and beyond whenever I, I feel that I can, because I want to give others hope. Right. Because, I was, again, I, I don't know why. My family and my friends are the reason of why, mm-hmm. but, you know, I I made it through without as the hardships as others did. And, right. and so now I get to, I'm, I'm, I was blessed. And so I need to turn that around and give others something. Yeah, so no. have more hope. Matter of fact, one of our um, people that we had on the podcast, Taylor Moliterno, who came on and shared her story about, uh, her beautiful daughter Frankie Joy, that she was born stillborn, and you know had to suffer that loss. But she talked about during that time when she was going through it, she was surrounded by a good community of people. She had a good faith about her, and but all she had was hope. And then she talked about hope was her oxygen at that point, and it got her through a lot of the tough times that she had to go through. And so you know we use the word hope. Hope's thrown around a lot of times, but hope is so important. It's so important. It's that light in the tunnel that people need to see. It's that rope they need to hold on to that pulls themselves out of that pit that they're in right now. And uh, I, I love that your message is to promote hope in anything that you can do. Before we move on to a little bit more in your story of, you know, of being an adult and some things you've gone through and that what you're doing now, I just want you to be able to speak right now to people who are in high school or even adults, but specifically people in school who are being bullied or parents who are dealing with children who are being bullied. And what kind of tools can you give them right now to kind of help? Because it's not going to go away overnight. You know, there's no, there's no Band-Aid for bullying. You know, there really isn't. Um, 
but what kind of tools can you give parents or people going through that just to try to get through to the next step? Yeah, I would say to the parents, you know, if you know that your uh, child is being bullied, if you think your child's being bullied, no matter how many times a day you need to tell them, text them, or, or call them, leave them a message, you know, in Facebook Messenger, right. however it is, let them know that they are loved and that you, um, you will do anything to make them happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that message over and over can, um, can, can be helpful for some youth to hear. I think for, the, for those that are, you know, being bullied, whether they're in high school or not, is that they need to know that, you know, it's not about you. Right. It's 100% not about you. And, you know, we, it's cliche to say this, but there will never be another Jeremy David Wilson. I know that there's other people out there who have that same name, mm-hmm. but there will never be another me. Uh, right. Even, you know, even identical twins. There are, you know, there, there may never be those identical twins uh, before it. Uh, a choir director once told me, she hates it when people say that they can't sing. She said, because our vocal cords are as unique as our fingerprints. Wow. So you can sing, right? We all can sing. Right. It's just we are taught somewhere along the line and to, to not tune that. Right. And so for those students, it's, you know, you have something that is 100% unique to this world. Mm-hmm. And so it's not about you. And, and to those who are being bullied, you know, I'm sorry that you have been hurt so hard and that you, you feel such a pain that all you know is to lash out. Right. And, you know, I think of uh, examples of, you know, Justin Timberlake. He, he's, he's spoken about how he was kind of the outsider in, uh, when he was growing up because he liked all this kind of music and right. he, he, he didn't fit in and he experienced bullying. He was considered an outsider. Uh, you know, recently Kevin Love has talked about as an adult and uh, what he's experienced in the NBA. And so, you know, you see these extremely successful people, right. an NBA champion who now just launched a line with Banana Republic. Uh, I don't think anyone doesn't know what Justin Timberlake has accomplished. <laughs> who is that? Yeah, right? But you, <laughs> but you see these yeah. two, and these are just two examples right. of, that they've had mental health struggles. They were bullied. They were told they were different. They were fill in the blank. And that's not true. Right. Yet when you're being bullied, you believe that you're not good enough. You're not this enough. Uh, and it, you're not an embarrassment to your family. You're not, you know, not worthy enough. You don't, you're not just this worthless piece of whatever it may have been said to you. Right. You're, we all have a gift and something that's unique to this world and to the history of humankind. Right. I and love we, it. We need that. We need yeah. you to be here because there's going to be a day where we're all going to go, that's exactly why we need you here. Right. I love that. I mean, I love the fact that you talk about how everyone's 100% unique, no matter what you think you are, what you've been told, what you believe, you are unique, and the world's better with you in it, no matter what contribution that is. Um, and I think it was important how you talked about local you know, celebrities lately have been coming out and talking about their battles with anxiety and depression and all the things like that, because you know, 
a lot of times it could be things around you that make you have that anxiety depression but a lot of times it's just a chemical imbalance anxiety is just something that has nothing to do with reality really it's something that's misfiring in your brain and it's about getting that reworked through you know support and maybe sometimes medication whatever works for you it's different for everybody but i appreciate the people who have a bigger audience to come out and say listen you know i'm surrounded by thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who love me on a daily basis and adore me and i'm like quivering on the floor with a panic attack and i can't even breathe and yeah. for them to share that story it really shines light it makes people feel normal and it gives them hope that they can get through it too so i appreciate you bringing that up too especially about the celebrities as well um, so let's fast forward in your story a little bit, you know, your college life, your adult life, where you're at, and some other things you've gone through. Yeah, uh, my, my, uh, besides some, some of the, you know, experiencing some, some depression in high school, and again, that was as a result to, to the bullying. Right. And it was more that kind of just, oh, like that does not feel good. I, I, I would not uh, classify it as a, a deep depression right chronic depression mm -hmm. uh but for you know uh, me in college uh, you know it was in college was the first time i experienced a panic attack and it was right after my uh, cousin had died and mm -hmm. uh, so i started to just uh you know i went and i i went and saw a therapist uh, again to to talk about my cousin's death and mm -hmm. and you know, then throughout life, we, my family, uh, you know, has uh, lost others uh, of importance. Some of that's just from old age, but also uh, have lost uh, people we grew up with who are close friends from suicide, mm -hmm. from cancer. And, um, and in the last couple of years, we lost my niece, Nora, who I know my, uh, I call her my sister, but for clarification, she's my brother's wife. <laughs> uh, and it's just because it sounds funny when I, you know, if I refer to my brother and my sister, some people might get uh, get things confused. But Candace was on the podcast and talked about uh, uh, Nora. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the grief that I have experienced has taught me a lot. And, you know, I will say that I have not handled grief well. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is part of my journey that I had to really come to some reconcilia reconciliation with. I had to really look at what was going on. And, you know, right after Nora died, you know, I went through a period where I, I, can t I, 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 mean, I just said it, but I did not handle grief well. And not that there's mm -hmm. this guidebook to grief, but, right. you know, going back to high school about, well, there must be something wrong with me, you know, watching your younger brother lose his daughter and not be able to stop it, not be able to be the big brother and protect him, right? to solve it, to fix it, brought up a lot of things of all the times when I had not been a good big brother growing up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, even even wanting to take Nora's place of, you know, I take me instead of her. Right. Uh, and, and while that's not how life works, you know, it really brought, it boiled up these things of, of not being good enough. Those things and those ideas that were planted in my head in high school mm -hmm. because I was bullied and, and grief is a, is a, uh, is a, is an interesting thing because, you know, 
there's stages of grief. Uh, people, you know, say, oh, time heals. And, and there's certain adages that we've used to try and help people. But mm-hmm. what I've found is that grief never leaves us. Right. Uh, you know, uh, I, I saw online and there was no author attributed to it. But this quote that said, grief is just joy that has nowhere to go. Mm. And, you know, that's something that I've really learned. I mean, I, 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 I didn't talk a lot to certain people about the grief that I was experiencing with Nora. Right. I, I felt guilty. Um, I felt that guilty because I didn't know how to help my brother. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to help my parents. I didn't know how to help my sister. I, I didn't know how to help Candace. I didn't know how to help my sister's husband, James. My, you know, there was this sense of like, well, what are you going to do? And, and why can't you fix this? And, and that was coming from no one but me. Right. And that's the, where, the thing where grief really got to me is because I, I didn't know what to do. And, and I didn't know how to help. Mm-hmm. And nobody does. I mean, you know, when people experience the death of a of a parent that when they're you know of, of old age, right? You you it's hard. It's but there's something natural that grief. It's an it's a natural part of life. Sure, it really is. And yet, when you lose a child or someone early too early in life, they haven't lived out you know all of their gray hairs. You you experience this unnatural grief. Right. Because it just, it, there's this stuff that doesn't make sense. And you, and you search the why you search, yeah. the, you know, you, you get jaded. I, I, I had friends who, you know, after Nora, you know, I had a friend's mom who was diagnosed with cancer and she was in stage four and the doctor said, yeah, it's about four to six months. Right. All you have left. And, she chose not to do chemo. She changed her diet and she was cancer left. The doctors were stumped. The, con- the, the doctors did oh, f- wow. multiple tests after because they were like, this does, this defies science. And they're celebrating, right? They're celebrating their, their, their mom, their mom was healed. And right here I am thinking, you know, then why not Nora? And and even before that, the day uh, Nora was born, the day after my aunt's funeral, she died uh, from brain cancer. And so, you know, we were actually uh, the day after the funeral, sitting around when we got the call that uh, we were with a family and friend, a family, and we got the call that you know Nora was on her way before we knew uh, her, she would be named Nora. And so here I am experiencing this, mm-hmm. where I'm like angry i'm hurt i i think what did i do that made it so nora couldn't heal right which is completely ludicrous by the way right absolutely i didn't want to say that but no you're you're absolutely right there's really in reality there's nothing you can do about any of these things right and when it comes to losses like this we talked about you know it's a progression no one wants to lose anybody but when someone older passes away you know you hear people say well they lived a great life you know they lived a full life and when you lose people to cancer, especially young babies or young children or whatever, all you see is question marks around you. Yes. Everything's a question mark. Why this? Why this? Why this? Why me? Why not them? And there is no reasoning for it. There's no reasoning for why God chooses to 
give life to some and take life from another. And there's no rhyme or reason to the suffering to it. But one person we did have on the podcast in the first season was Kendra Zaru. And she talked about the loss of her husband. And, she, and since then, she's become a certified grief coach. And one of the things she talks about and about grief, and, and anybody who's not heard that, go back and listen to her podcast. But she does lay out a wonderful progression of how to deal with grief. Like you said, there's no band-aid to it or any rhyme or reason to it. Well, but one of the biggest things that I took away from it is that she said you have to sit in the pain. Mm-hmm. People try – people who are on the outside, they want you to get over it quick because they want to deal with the pain and feel better. People who are in the inside, they tell you to, oh, get over it. Don't worry. Find somebody else. You move on. They want you to get rid of the pain. But in reality, the pain's not going anywhere. And she really suggests yeah. sit in that pain and just feel it. It's going to suck. It's going to feel really bad. But you'll get through it, but you have to address it and really sit in it. And it was beautiful the way she does. She talks about it. So please, anybody, go back, listen to Kendra Zaru. Um, but I wanted to talk about that part of the grief. It really That really hit me and kind of helped me through someone that we, I lost around the same time that podcast came out, who lost from pancreatic cancer. And I had a lot of question marks myself about that. And it kind of gave me a way to think about sitting in the pain and dealing with it. So. I just wanted to bring that up as you were speaking about that portion of the pain and the questioning of things. Yeah, and I completely agree. I think that, you know, that I think that's rooted from us, especially, uh, you know, I want to say more here in the Western Hemisphere is we don't sit with people and they're suffering enough. No. We, because it's discomfort, it's, it's discomfort, it, it's not fun, it's, it's hard, it's awkward. Yeah. Hurt, it's hurt it it hurts you to see someone suffering mm-hmm. and and so we jump to like you said people are honestly trying to be helpful I, I i believe that that people want to say you know well time will heal or or oh yeah you know like j- just get out of your house and and right. sometimes that push that help is is appreciated yet there is something about why we are so quick to not just realize, hey, maybe I should just, this person just needs me to sit with them. Right. Just be, sit in their suffering with them. And I, and I do think that that's, you know, not just in grief, but kind of where we are. And I don't want to go on a social, you know, soapbox, but I, I do see that we, you know, we want that magic pill. We want that instant gratification. We, right. we are, polarized as a society we're so quick to jump to the solution or why my perspective my belief is right mm-hmm. we don't sit in that discomfort place we don't right. sit and go tell me why that's hard for you tell me why that's hurtful. even if, if if it challenges our beliefs or it calls into question our faith system mm-hmm sitting with someone and go and hearing what they say, you know, I just got done with uh, Brene Brown's braving the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And she says, talks about how, you know, how hard people are to hate up close. Right. And it's really not about agreeing with them or disagreeing with them. It's leaning in and, and acknowledging and listening to that person's pain. Mm-hmm. And so I agree. I think, you know, with grief, it's, it's the same. Of You don't need to know what to say to someone. You don't even know, need to know what they need. It's them knowing you're there, that you're willing right. to sit with them, that you're a safe person for them 
to cry in front of, yeah. that you're the safe person for them to get angry um, around. And I remember after my cousin died, I was in college and I had two roommates and uh, I, I had never wa- had any uh, desire to watch the show uh, CSI and it was the original one. And for whatever reason, that's what was on. And I stayed in my room and I watched CSI for hours and my roommates called uh, my, one of our friends who was, who went to the same college and uh, my friend and I went to high school together and I said, what do we do? Like, he's not leaving his room. He, he's just watching TV. It's been like (laughs) four or five hours. And they said, and she said, go to In-N-Out, get him a cheeseburger and fries, bring it to him. And they're like, but we don't even know if he'll eat. We've asked him. He said, no. And she said, he'll eat. Just let him be there. Just let him be. Right. And, and my friend had lost a sister. And uh, so, you know, it was that idea of her acknowledging, like, there is no magic pill. There is right. no quick fix when somebody is grieving. Just, like, you know, bring him food. He's going to need to eat sooner or later. Just let him be there. When he's ready, he will tell you what he needs or what he doesn't need. Right. Yeah, I mean, I love that. It's basically, just being there, and eventually they'll kind of show you what they need, but someone's got to be there to provide that for them, that yeah. support or the food or a hug or whatever. Right. Um, so learning how you dealt with your grief and evolved, how does that lead you to where you're kind of at what you're doing today in your job and your everyday life? Yeah, I have been working in the public mental health system for over 13 years now and you know it was really interesting because I remember there was a point in time where I thought wow after losing Nora experiencing the grief I did I'm I don't have stigma about going to get services yeah going to see a therapist I cry when I pick out cards uh, in the store, you know, <laughs> I'm a crier. I, yeah. People know this about me. I, I have family and friends I can talk to anything about. I communicate my emotions. I, you know, tell people how much I appreciate them. And, and when I need someone, you know, there to support me. I had all of that. And it was still a, a really hard experience. And I still didn't handle my grief well. Right. And so it made me just have that aha of all of those people who experience trauma, losing someone, and they don't have all of that. Right. They can still, you know, heal and and get the help that they need. But imagine being in that place where you don't even know who to call. You don't even know who where to start, who's going to be there for you, what's to do. Right. And it really reaffirmed, you know, my, my profession and, and my dedication to being out there. And, and, and I'm not in the clinical setting. I, you know, do project development and management right. and public affairs. And uh, so for me, it's more, you know, behind the scenes, but it reminded me of why this, why mental health and behavioral health and, and the work that I do is so important because I had every support system I needed and I still didn't handle it well. 
and, right. and, and turn to some unhealthy coping mechanisms. And so for me, it goes back to, again, you know, being bullied. Right. I had all the supports. I had everything I needed, and I still got bullied. I right. still had those depressive thoughts. I still didn't, you know, had, I had body images that would follow me throughout most of my adult life and still today um, bubble up in my head when I'm sure. getting depressed some days. And, you know, it's, it's this, we need to help each other. We need to, we need to start talking about these things more. And, you know, I already have brought up Kevin Love, but to, to have a pro athlete talk about this is, is huge. Not because he's the first, but because he's talking about it and it's getting covered through non-mental health media. Right. You know, there's people who read his article uh, in the Players' Tribune. There's players who are people who read his article and the follow-up articles through ESPN. And so people who would never click on or read a mental health article or brochure right. are hearing this story and we're reaching, we're reaching them. And they right. may be someone who has mental health challenges or – uh, it might be somebody who knows a, a family friend, uh, a family member, a coworker who's struggling, and yet they also know that they're a big sports fan. Mm -hmm. And they can be like, oh, let me show you this article, you know. And Right, no, it's all about awareness. It is. And yeah. so, um, you know, for, for, us, for us men, I think it's something that we, we really need to start addressing is that, uh, you know, our, we need to – talk more about this we need to help reduce the stigma around absolutely when you're a man and you're feeling these emotions it's it's normal and you look at the you know research out there and the studies that have been done showing how emotional pain and, right and toxic stress and trauma impacts us physically yeah absolutely well, it's funny you bring it up, especially with guys, because we are. We're the biggest people who will not admit anything, doesn't matter what it is. And uh, anybody who knows my story of dealing with mental health and depression and stuff, for years I wouldn't seek help. And I love my dad to death. He's one of my best friends and stuff. But he was always somebody growing up who always talked about, everybody just looks for a quick fix. Everyone just wants a pill to fix everything. So I figured if you took a pill that you were just taking the easy way out, that you know, yeah. pills aren't for anybody. So I didn't go to the doctor forever because of that in my head. Now, my dad was a great supporter. I had kind of a great upbringing like you as well. He was always there for me, but it was something that he believed in. Like if you take a pill, then you're just, you know, you're not praying about it. You're not, you're taking the easy way out. Not everyone needs a pill, blah, blah, blah. So I, I ran for it for years and I wish I would have got help earlier because not everyone needs medicine, but for me, it's been my miracle drug. The medicine I take works for me. It's been, like I said, it saved me. And uh, and I wish I would have just not thought about the stigma of what anybody else thought and just got the help that I needed. Um, like you said, you're a crier. I barely cry. But even though it's funny, even though you could have the support of the people who love you the most. I mean, I'm literally sitting in a recliner next to my wife every night we're watching TV. We were watching a show not too long ago, and it was two um, people who have Down syndrome. They got married. Um, I forget the name of the show. I love it on A&E. Um, born this way anyhow and they're doing this it was the most beautiful thing and i'm like sobbing but i'm holding it in even though i'm sitting next to my wife who knows every dark dirty secret about me you know see me cry 
see me in the psychiatric hospital, everything. But I'm holding back crying next to her, like it, the safest place I could possibly be still as a guy holding it back. So to your point, yes, us guys, and not I say women don't hold it in. Maybe they do. Some do. Most don't. But it's okay. It's okay to get the help. It's okay to say that you're not feeling this way or you're feeling weird or any of those things to get that help. And I appreciate you bringing that up because it, it is so true today and forever with men. We just need to let it go, right? Yeah, and it's, you know, my favorite phrase of as of late is it's okay to not be okay. Yes, I love that. And, and it just speaks to we're all humans. And and one thing that we also, we not just men, but society, is we compare yeah. our situation to others. So we go, well, you know, I should be happier because I still have all of these things. I have a job. I have money. I have right. friends. I have a family. And I do think that there is a level of being grateful that, you know, uh, not a level, but this approach of we should be grateful. We yeah. should focus on what we're blessed on. Yeah. But not to the extreme where we downplay our emotions because that's right. that's going back to the balloon that you're putting you're putting that into your own balloon instead of saying, I just don't, you know, I'm sad about this or I'm depressed about this or I'm right. stressed about this or, you know, I had a, a panic attack recently and someone said, what was going on? And I said, nothing. I was mm -hmm. on the couch watching uh, a show on Netflix that was always makes me laugh. And it's, uh, full disclosure, it's Golden Girls. <laughs> and, uh, and Thanks for being a friend. Yep, exactly. And, I got a panic attack and there, so, but my friend who out of, again, out of um, an effort to help was like, well, what, what was going on and what was going through your head? And it was like, nothing. Right. You know, and, and in that situation, acknowledging it happened. And, uh, and so I do think that we're, we're quick to downplay or, or uh, yeah. what we're going through or associate. There has to be a cause instead of saying, this is just how I'm feeling. Right. And, and it is what it is. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, we've talked about a lot of amazing stuff today. And, Jeremy, you're sharing so much of, you know, intimate things about your life and vulnerable things that people are going through. And especially parents who listen to have kids, especially the bullying portion of it, is huge right now. So big. And I'm so glad you brought that up. But as we wrap things up today, you know, it's the last thing I ask everybody. So I'm asking you, and this, I know this is a big part of your mission statement in life, is what bit of hope and encouragement can you offer to people who are just up in it right now, either the bullying, the depression, the grief, any of that, just an underlying message of hope that you could offer to people today? Yeah, you know, I was actually uh, this morning lis listening to Candace's podcast because uh, mm -hmm. I promised you that I would. Yes. Uh, this I put it off for obvious reasons and um, you know, she, she talked about the chaplain and that last day that we were with Nora mm -hmm. and the chaplain telling her, you need to tell this story as much as you can. Yes. And, and she was not really sure what that meant at the time. And, and, and then Candace's quote of you, that the healing happens when you tell the story. Yes. And I think of what Kevin Love is doing right now and how many people will heal because he's telling his story. That mm -hmm. when you acknowledge, like, yeah, I was bullied in high school. There's someone out there right now who that story is going to give them hope. That this, that, you know, 
a family yeah. friend's mom once said, when you're in high school, it feels like it's the only thing. It's the most important thing. It's the only thing. Yet then when you're out of it, you realize it's only four years. Right. And not to downplay if you're being bullied how much four years can feel like. Right. But to tell other people your story, to be vulnerable, to talk about how you're feeling, that's where we, that's where we heal. And that's where not just from the mental health challenges we're going through or the, mm -hmm. self, the body image things that we're going through. But I do think it's the, it's the opportunity for us as people and as a community to start healing, to talk, to tell our story why that's yeah. hard for us, why, where we found hope, where, who helped us, what was helpful. Right. You know? And, and, and sometimes it's like you said, it's people going to get treatment and sometimes it's having that helpful friend there. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's, you know, picking up and moving and going to a new city. I mean, who knows what it may be. Um, and I, and I think about that, you know, that was, you know, another part of when, when I was after Nora's death, I, I was struggling with, you know, coming out and it was a really hard thing for me. And my mom finally just said, after everything we've been through, who cares? Right. Because what really matters is that you're here and you're happy and you're healthy. Right. And again, being one of the fortunate, not every parent says that right. to their loved one. That's true. Uh, or any family member or friend. But for me, it was like, I, I lost friends. I lost, I lost some connection with some family members mm -hmm. because of, of, of speaking my truth. Yet the healing that has come to me to say this, I'm no different. I'm the same person. It has been huge. You know, right. some of the things that I experienced, I don't hold on to anymore. I don't, over i don't you know have emotional eating anymore i don't mm -hmm. try and earn people's love by buying gifts or you know paying for dinner all the time i mean things that were unhealthy financial uh behaviors for me but also just you know not not working 12-hour work days because i got affirmation from work and at least that way people liked me right there was so much healing that came out when i told my story mm -hmm. and there's been healing when I've had a friend recently whose mom died of cancer and I was able to say to him, when you're ready, I'm here to talk. And I told him how I didn't handle grief. Well, right. I, said, I don't want you to go down that path and I will be vulnerable with you. I will tell you everything. I'm not going to hide it. I'm right. Proud of it. Um, but I'm not going to be ashamed because if I can help you not go down that path, that's where that healing has happened ha is happening because I'm yeah. telling you this. Absolutely. I love it. I love how you wrap that up and you really just kind of reaffirm what this whole podcast is all about. There is power in telling your story. I talk about it before the podcast, talk about it at the end. Come on and share your story. Is it easy? No. Is it easy to be vulnerable and know that people are going to hear things about your life and you're like, oh crap. Uh, it's a little scary, but if your story can help one person, oh my gosh, that is a life then changed forever because you shared your story, you shared your truth. And I can't thank you enough, Jeremy, for coming on and sharing all your truths today and your story. Amazingly done. I really appreciate it so much. So so here's the thing I ask also. If anybody wants to connect with you, Jeremy, and hear more about your story or hear about resources and things like that, where can they connect with you at? Yeah, they're more than welcome to find me on Facebook, uh, Jeremy David Wilson. I joined, uh, or I am a member of the Unwritten 
group on Facebook. So I'm happy to, you know, get connected to tell people stories if they, they want to, they want to know more or okay. if they have there's a resource, please just. Awesome. Me. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. And I say to everybody, especially to you, that, but our life is better for having known you that you're still here and that you've survived and you kept working through everything. So I really appreciate you being here today, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. It was a true honor. Well, thanks so much, Jeremy, for being on the show today. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story as an adult now, looking back on your childhood and your story and things that you went through. And the biggest thing in his story that he talked about was the bullying early on and what that did to him and what it made him turn into as a young adult through high school, turning into uh, college and so forth and so on. But it started early on when someone told him by the way they treated him in the bullying that something was wrong with him. And here he was in this supportive household and here he was elevated in all these social areas in his life as far as sports and being involved in school and friendships and things like that, but still feeling all alone. Now, he was very clear in his story that he never felt like he wanted to commit suicide, but he did just want it to be done with, to be over with. And how sad is that from such a young age and into high school where the actions of others by people ganging up on people, being a bully to them, um, affects how they see themselves. When he was in this supportive area and he loved his family, still loves his family, they were always there for him. But even in all of that, he felt alone. He felt isolated. And something that I think it's important to talk about even today is that being bullied doesn't necessarily mean a little kid, right? There are people, if you're listening and you ever worked in an office, there are people who will try to bully you there, right, as an adult. But nobody as an adult wants to say you're being bullied because it's like you feel like you're talking about being a little kid. Like someone's bullying me at work. And um, so a lot of times, even as adults, when that things happen, we don't talk about it because we're embarrassed by it. And the same thing goes with kids. And they shouldn't have to be embarrassed by the actions of others, what they've done to them or saying to them and making them feel those way they do. But it does happen. So I wanted to recognize, after him coming on and being vulnerable and sharing his story, is that October is National Bullying Prevention Month. And they talked about the best way to stop people being bullied is to have an atmosphere of kindness. And for them pushing this month of prevention, they have a whole stat out all about kindness works. Kindness is one of the most significant contributors to positive school climate. Being kind makes others happy, makes you feel good, and helps prevent bullying. Here's some things that helps improve in schools. Relationships, kindness this is. Social connections, happiness, energy, mental health, heart health, life satisfaction, overall well-being, and a longer life. Who doesn't want all of those things? Well, here's what it decreases. Stress, anxiety aggression, depression, and socially being disconnected. And lastly, they say these are the interesting facts about kindness. Kindness is contagious. The benefits increase as the number of acts increase. Practicing intentional kindness can help reduce stress when under duress. 
So I think all of these things are important, not just because people are being bullied, but how about if we practice kindness in everyday life? What would that look like? It's, it's kind of hard to understand, right? Because we see so many people being so cruel to each other, um, kids in schools, adults to each other, people on social media. That's a hot mess all on its own. It leads to cyberbullying. And like I talked about in the podcast, a lot of the consequences of people being bullied is suicide. People ending their life because they have been told they are one way or another by the way that people treat them, how they talk about them, and how they work in their community against them. And if we can talk about this on the podcast today, to show kindness, share kindness, and step in and help the people who are being bullied and let them know that they are not the ones with the problem, that there is nothing wrong with them. So I wanted to thank Jeremy for sharing that part of his life as well. And he also talked about his struggle with mental health and dealing with grief. Uh, and all the different losses that he had. And like I said in his story, he was very clear that his struggles weren't leading to suicide. But he did run that parallel life with, I'm happy I'm with my family. I love my support. I love my siblings. But I also just want to get through this. And he talked about, about the people in high school, how they feel like it's their whole life. And it's really only four years of your life. In four years when you're in high school and you're up in it and you're stressed out and you maybe don't fit in or maybe you're being bullied, it can feel like a life sentence, right? But it's not. And if you can just find your niche, know your truth, know your value, and do not let anybody else speak those lies into your life, that you will get through it. You will find your way and get through those four years of high school. It's only the four years. And then you will move on to bigger and better things for your life. And I love what Jeremy said, that he said, you know what? You are uniquely you. And I love that. There is no other Jeremy David Wilson, he said out there. He said, there's other people with my name, but there is nobody just like me. And I thought that was so powerful. And I think that we lose sight of that on a daily basis. I mean, if you think back to Jeremy's story when he was taking hot showers just to steam up the mirror so he wouldn't have to look at himself. I mean, how sad is that? And how many of us have gone through something like that where you're not necessarily steaming up the shower, you know, but you don't even want to look at yourself. You don't like what you've become because of what people have said about you, what you've said to yourself, things you've given up on, but you have value and you are uniquely you. And if you take the time each day to think, I'm unique. The world is better for me being in it. And sometimes when we are up in the darkest things that we're going through in life, we don't see that value. But if you can think back on Jeremy's story, on what he said and what he shared, when you are at your lowest lows and you think there's no other way out, I'll never get through this, why does anybody even care? Stop and believe that you are unique, the world needs you, and there will never, ever be anyone like you. Well, I'd like to thank you guys so much for joining me today and sharing Jeremy's story, and I'm so thankful for Jeremy being on the podcast today. If you guys are enjoying the show, like I said at the beginning, stop by iTunes, let Jeremy know. I don't care if you let me know if you like the show. Let him know that you appreciate him being on the show. 
or the others that you've heard so far. We would greatly appreciate that. So if you want to be part of the conversation, check us out on Facebook at the Unwritten Life Podcast Group. That is where our weekly conversation is going on, where we're sharing things about the podcast. I would love to hear from you guys there. You can also check us out on Instagram, where I'll be sharing photos of Jeremy and other people who have been on the show. And our show notes at theunwrittenlifepodcast.com. There, you can drop me a line. My email's there. And if you would like to be on the podcast or have any questions about the podcast or you want to share your story privately to me and want me to read it on the air, I can do that as well. All of you guys matter to me so much, and I have such joy putting this podcast out. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work behind the scenes, but I love it. I love it because the mission of the podcast is being fulfilled. Each download means one more person who has a chance of hope. And if you can do that and help me spread that, share the podcast, tell others about it, and spread that message of hope. If there's anything that we need these days, guys, it is hope. Look around. All the craziness going around in the world, we need hope. We need to know that our story is unwritten and there is a future for us. Well, we've come to the end of yet another episode, but guys, this is not the end of your life or the end of your journey at all. Remember that you matter. You can make a difference, and your story is still unwritten.